Welcome to the Clash Podcast. In a first for Bath Rugby, we'll be celebrating all that is extraordinary about the annual event hosted at Twickenham. We'll be hosting some special guests from the club, both current stars and legends of the game, alongside invited guests from outside the rugby world. There'll be some rugby chat, some fun and games, and some deeper conversations on a range of topics. Enjoy the show. On episode two, we'll be joined by three special guests. Rugby World Cup winner Francois Lowe, Wales and Bath fly half Rhys Priestland and Premiership winner Will Chudley. We'll be chatting to them all on their thoughts on the Guinness Six Nations so far, their big match experiences at the top of the game and so much more. So let's get down to it. Please welcome Francois, Rhys and Will. Gents, I feel like I ought to start this podcast with... An Englishman, a Welshman and a South African walked into a bar. It's great to see the diversity that we get in Bath Rugby and using that diversity to look at what's happened in the first two rounds of the Guinness Six Nations. Before we look at the specifics of the match, though, I'm aware that after every World Cup, everybody's talking about a slight lull in the Six Nations. Have you seen that so far in these, in these first two rounds? Francois, I mean... you. You've had three World Cups, so much as you haven't been involved in the tournament, have you seen a difference post-World Cup? Well, I almost think this is a question for the Englishman uh, to answer, uh, considering we're in England and probably talking about them. Uh, no, I suppose there is, there is a bit of a come down after a World Cup. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge occasion. There's a lot of energy around that and excitement and being there. And um, reality uh, does smack you in the face, uh, you know, coming back to, uh, away from it, back to uh, your club rugby. Not that it's a, it's a different level of the game, uh, but it is different uh, and it is an environment you need to adapt to quite quickly. Um, whether or not there was a lull, there has been a lull in the Six Nations, uh, difficult to say. Uh, England obviously went on form in their, in their first game and, and managed to, to bounce back this past weekend in horrendous conditions in Murrayfield. So uh, you know, they'll be excited about that. And there's a few new players obviously in their side uh, showing some promising rugby. Um, but yeah, I think we should give it to the Englishman to comment on the, Go on then, the, 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 the lull. <laughs> have you seen a difference, firstly, have you seen a difference with guys coming back into the camp I mean both at Exeter and here are you aware of a of a, of a need to drive them harder um, well obviously I haven't really been in one of those camps I'm not sure I can't really comment for them but I don't think there's been a lot I think if you actually look at the stats from the English game the English guys actually performed pretty well I think they entered into the opposition 22 like 10 more times than the other team they just couldn't score tries uh, so I don't think there was a low in terms of um, the level of energy or their effort and stuff. I think it was just, um, just one of those games where you, just, you know, couldn't score a try for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I think this weekend they showed some really good grit and determination um, and showed some good passion for the shirt. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of press been about trying to answer their critics, but um, I think they did this week. Because it is a case of after the Lord Mayor's show sometimes, isn't it? Right, for South Africa, it's been brilliant and everything that's come with that. For England, having lost a final, it's like there, there is, a, there is a, a hit, I suppose, from press and from public on expectation. It's almost impossible to, st- to live up to, isn't it? Why, in terms of England? Yeah. Um, I don't know, I think they were caught cold at the um, NAF France game. Um, but they showed when they came off second half and they played a bit of rugby. They, they looked quite good, they looked quite comfortable. Um, like Chad said, create a lot of opportunities and sometimes you just don't take the opportunities. I think you can overread things sometimes. Um, 
you know, that French team, they've got a lot of youngsters, there have been a lot, lot of probably unknown quantities there for them. Um, but yeah, they, they just didn't take many of their chances and you know, you can't just write them off because of that, because of one poor game like that and then that Scotland game, you know, you can't really read it into that at all. So um, just because of the conditions. So I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure England will be fine. Um, for the other nations, like Wales are on fire that first game. Um, I thought the game against Ireland was a really good test match. So, uh, you know, I haven't really seen a, a big lull. You know, that the England-Scotland game uh, was obviously disappointing because of the conditions. But I think um, you're probably asking that question because you're disappointed with how England played in that first game. But these things happen sometimes. I don't think it's fair to say that there's been a drop-off in the, in the Six Nations. Oh, OK. For, for the Welsh boys, the first game under Wayne Pivak was ideal, I suppose, playing Italy at home. And we saw some wonderful attacking... Rugby, particularly from from some of the new guys, yeah, a tough game in Dublin, obviously, which was always going to be a really difficult one. But are you are you pleased with the way things have started up? Because it's it, again, it's a new cycle, isn't it? We keep talking cycles as well. Yeah, well, they're quite fortunate because they, they managed to play against the Barbars in November, um, which have been good just for them to be together as a squad for a week. Um, but a lot of those players. Um, they would work with Pivak before with the Scars and I think... I'm going to ask Yoshi a question in a minute, but if you can just hang he on... He probably knows more than us anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like Ireland, Dublin away is a tough, tough place to go. Um, Ireland would have been disappointed with their performance first time out, but they, they, they played very well on the weekend. Um, as much as Wales would be disappointed, I thought Ireland good. Ireland are one of two unbeaten teams, obviously, as we, as we sit here right now. France... Of the other one, and I've I've done quite a few under twenties the last three four years, and I was in Bezier when when the French under twenties beat England, and the Intermax and Carbonells and all those guys were coming through. Are you surprised it's taken so long for France to actually blood these guys to at the full table? Because we know the talents that, that's there, and, and what you've seen so far of France, they they've at last been given the opportunity, aren't they? I think I, I think it's fair to say with France, you never really know what you're going to get. Uh, you know, over the years they've sort of an up and down team, really. Uh, definitely a World Cup team. Uh, they seem to perform well in World yeah. Cups. Um, you know, they've had a bit, a bit of change of management there over the over the last few years as well. So I think, uh, you know, these young guys coming through, giving the guys a chance. Uh, you know, they are they are a side that, when the confidence is there, they perform well and perform well consistently. Uh, you know, and it seems to be back now. Um, you know, they've had. And it is confidence, isn't it? It is. It's it's all, it's, it's all it is. You know, especially with uh, the sort of French outlook uh, uh, on rugby. Um, you know, when they do get going, they do play the the champagne style, uh, and we saw a bit of that this weekend as well. You know, the confidence of guys putting kicks through. You know, on on the try line. You know, Teddy scoring that that try, which she did, uh, and it sort of just breeds into more of that. So. Uh, I think those young guys are, are doing a pretty good job. Uh, you know, they got the confidence of youth, and that seems to be uh, infectious. You know, flowing into the other players. I think it's, it's good for them. They got the the two halfbacks as well. Yeah, like Dupont's a fantastic player, and, and Tamaka really like him. He's um, obviously still very young, but he's got all the talent in the world. And but he seems to have like a level head as well, which for a French team is, is probably what they need and they probably need someone like Sean Edwards as well I was going to say his front days must have been improving a lot because that defence it looks so different now for Le Bleu doesn't it yeah can he make the difference Bruce yeah he's good he, get, he gets he gets a lot out of his players um, 
you know, he's got a great track record as a coach. It was quite funny. I was watching, I think it was on ITV. They, they did an interview with him before the first game, and they cut back to clips of him train, uh, in training. And he's, he's taken a lot of the same stuff over that he did with Wales, like some of the some of the stuff he wanted to do. And uh, I, I was laughing, just thinking how in his Wigan accent, how he's getting that across to to the French out there. Because the I, English don't understand him. They don't well, the French. Yeah, the Welsh definitely didn't at the start. <laughs> but, no, he's good. He's he's so intense, and he's probably completely different to what the French are used to. I think there's, from speaking to players who've gone over there in the past, it's it's pretty quite laid back. The players, if they don't want to do something, they they won't do it. it does, and a lot of coaches have gone there and tried to change things. Have found it tough. They get quite often get booted out. So, um, you know, he's got connections with Ibanez there, and I think they they're fully committed to to Sean. And I know it's early days, but I think he could make can make a huge difference to that team. That said. France have played two games at home and they've got a couple of away games that are going to be very interesting to see whether they go in that last game, of course, against Ireland, still unbeaten. I mean, is that French mentality thing, Will, st- still relevant? I mean, you've seen it in Europe. Is it still a valid comment to say that a French team away from home is never the same? Well, I think, well, I think we'll, have to, we'll have to see in the next few fixtures. I think, like Reese has said, Dave... They've got like a level of energy in for their defence. We all know about their attacking flair, but now sort of they're bringing the other side of their the rugby to the uh, to the floor in terms of their defensive energy. So I think obviously the French league, the way it's set up, it is a bit you win your home games and away games send a lesser team. But I think their their real tests will be these away games, and then you'll see probably where the French are uh, and the impact Sean Edwards is having in, um, on that team. And you'll be loving seeing Antoine Dupont. As a nine, I mean, he is he's a bit special, right? Yeah, I think he's probably one of the best nines in the world um, at the moment. And he's certainly, when when he plays well, France plays well, it's no coincidence. Sorry, Shaftekert's really good as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we have to mention the budgie smoker. Uh, but what, what would be quite interesting, I know we talk a lot about France here, but Wales have had great success against France. I remember mm-hmm. when we used to play against them, we used to kick long and then back a defence against them and you know they'd sort of capitulate. So obviously that was part of Sean Edwards' plan. So he's now gone to their side. So he knows what's worked well against them in the past. So I'm sure he'd be well equipped to, to come up with a plan to make sure that doesn't doesn't happen again or doesn't happen moving forward. And that experience is is going to be invaluable in, in all sorts of areas. I mean, you're talking about Welsh success and, and my mind flips to Twickenham. And of course, Ireland are there the next round and Wales are there the round after. You must have some tremendous memories of Twickenham in, in the Welsh shirt. Some very good ones, some very bad ones, yeah. <laughs> Which one sticks in the claw then? Oh, there's, there's a few there. Um, no, yeah, Wales have done pretty well. I think England got had the upper hand in recent years, um, especially at Twickenham. But, um, yeah, no, we've had some good times there. Sort of won the triple crown there, beat them in the World Cup. So I've had some good times there. But some bad ones as well. One of the biggest games was in fact when you didn't play against England, you played against um, the Springboks 2015 quarter final. What, yeah. what are the memories of that, you two? I, mean, I think you were on the bench recently, weren't you, for that? But you started in six shirt, am I right? Uh, yes, yes. Um, well, from our side, very good memories actually. Because you won? Because we won. Um, we but were, uh, we, we winning when I came on. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've always had a, uh, uh, an interesting battle against the Welsh, uh, especially over the last sort of 10 years. Um, you know, it's always been very close games. Um, 
you know, there was a time where, you know, we were predominantly winning the games and then, you know, the last sort of, uh, going back sort of three, four years ago, you know, Wales got the upper hand on us a few times consecutively. So it's been, it's been back and forth and always been, as I said, very closely contested games. You know, that quarterfinal was uh, right until the last few minutes, you know, a bit of magic from Dwayne Vermeulen and around the back to Fareed de Prea. Um, yeah, my best friend. <laughs> um, you know, that was sort of off the cuff and, uh, you know, you can say fantastic individual play, but, you know, that could also easily not have happened and, you know, Wales could have gone through. Um, then unfortunately losing to New Zealand in the semi-finals by two points. All blacks uh, always get in the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you when you go to different venues, how much difference does it make to you as players in terms of where you're playing? So let's right, we're talking Twickenham. That's where the clash is going to be. How much importance is there to your experience there, Flo? You must have played there a fair few times for South Africa, Reese. I know you have done. Does that familiarity help in terms of the preparation leading up to what is inevitably going to be a big game at HQ? Uh, yeah, I think um, you know it's, it's it's not so much the uh, the venue, uh, although I, you know I've got to say Twickenham is a fantastic venue, one of my favourite venues, definitely. Uh, but it's more about you know the preparation, the mental preparation of obviously playing in front of uh, a great big crowd. Um, you know, sometimes a crowd's going to be hostile. Sometimes uh, you know it's going to be they're going to be on your side, and it's really just putting that. Parking that to one side and, and you know focusing on uh, what you want to do as a team, what you want to do as an individual uh, within your team strategy, and you know, trying your best to you know consistently execute your your job. Mm. Um, you know there are some places are better than other places. Rich, are you looking forward to playing at Twickenham with a hot house, so to speak, fans that are going to be supporting you? Yeah, I think I've loved every single clash to date. They've been. Fantastic! It's something the players look forward to, and I know some supporters might think that you know home games should be played at the rec. But the majority that, I, that I've come across have been very positive, and they've loved their time there. And I know they're looking forward to going back, back, back up to Twickenham. I just think the whole the whole spectacle is brilliant. You now we go up, there's excitement about it. We head to the ground. It's like a you know a home game on steroids. Really, there's there's like drums there, fireworks going off. Um, the supporters' village. So that gives you an extra buzz as you, as you pull in. There's, there's supporters everywhere. Uh, as you pull in on the bus, you can see them. And then, obviously, Twickenham is one of the best services out there as well. Um, it? Yeah, it's fantastic. And from a kicker, that's, that's key. It does help, yeah. No uh, excuses? No excuses, yeah. <laughs> um, plenty of excuses for kicking on the wreck. But, um, <laughs> no, it, yeah, so it, it's fantastic. And, um, you know, we had a good win last year against Bristol, which we, we desperately needed. And... I'm sure by the time the, the clash comes round, this time around with the league being so tight, it'll be a vital game for us to win. So, um, yeah, hopefully we go up there, put a good performance in, get another win, and there'll be lots of positive feedback like the last couple, last three years. Well, I'm going to wind you back to 2017, Prem final, in Exeter's colours, of course. What are your, your memories of that day, and how big was it of that, that trip, that journey, not only on the day coming out from the West Country, obviously, but also the lead-up to going, you know, if we, get, if we win this match, if we win the semi-final, then we're going to get to play a big one at HQ. Does that play into the psyche? Yeah, 100%. I think uh, for the journey extra, it was the year before 
they lost, and um, I think that was like a what Flo sort of said at Peach on earlier about it was an experience. A lot of lads hadn't been there before and didn't have that experience of what to expect. I think, um, especially with our group, we've got a lot of boys that have been to Twickenham and had that experience. So um, that that year to then come in and, and win it was obviously you know it's one of our best rugby memories. As such um, it was an awesome day. You know, same as the clash, we're gonna have all our families there. Um, lot you know, sixty thousand people screaming. Um, huge build-up. It, it feels more than just a Premiership game, the clash, um, and it has the same sort of feeling as those big sort of finals and semi-finals games. Um, so I think that's probably from a player's point of view, it's, um, that's awesome to be a part of. We talk a lot about the players' expectations and looking forward to it, but what about the families? What about your your friends and family that are looking forward to a day out at, at a huge stadium and everything that goes with it? Do they start talking about it early? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've got a lot of friends in London who, who you know, straight, straight on to me, oh, can, we, can we get tickets because we want to come back again? And, you know, knowing how much hard work goes on behind the scenes, it's like it's, a lot of people just think, oh, we turn up at Twickenham and yeah. it's just another game, but it's not like the logistics and all the planning that goes in to make sure that everyone has the best experience. It's, you know, I, I, for anyone that's thinking about coming, I'd always say, like, oh, come along because it, it is a fantastic day and everyone that I've had come along at, that I've spoken to have loved it, so I know they'll definitely be back and hopefully they'll drag some friends along with them this time. And plenty of friends are already asking for tickets and family and whatever? Plenty asking, we do just direct, <laughs> we do, we do just direct them to the website. <laughs> <laughs> Play the PC the line, I like that flow, I like that. But it is, I mean, it's huge excitement and not just on the day, all right, but the expectation of going up to London and and everything that goes with that, I guess, is, is something that you can really feast upon. I mean, because it is an extra motivator, it's an extra buzz in preparation. But the way that that fixture has been, as Reese just said, been planned, prepared and, and formalised into something that we do annually uh, and to make it as special as, as it is uh, from a fan's perspective, uh, you know, as players we definitely see that. We, we see the excitement, we see the flags, we see the the fans building the buzz within the week towards that game and uh, you know the build up to it and then actually obviously arriving at, at Twickenham and, and seeing the masses of people rolling in there um, you know you don't realise we have that many fans because the rec obviously has a limit to its capacity and then you know Twickenham being obviously a much larger stadium can hold more and, and you know they're, they're coming from all over uh, the UK to watch that fixture you know mm. not, not all of them are based in Bath um, which is which is really fantastic. Do you get a lot of South African involvement on that particular day obviously they come to Twickenham particularly in the autumn internationals when more often than not the Springboks are in town but do you get extra interest? I'm sure there's a there's a very big uh, South African contingent in London um, you know that I think that's that's what happens when you colonize the world a lot of people start coming back here so uh, a little bit closer to home there uh, for for them, so that they obviously pop over and, and uh, uh, hopefully come support another South African uh, in the team. Rich, your Citadel has always been the Principality Stadium, but which, if we go around the table, which is the the biggest stadium for the biggest event that you you think of? You know, sits high on your CV, and when you know when you finally stop playing, you'll think that was the place I really, really got a buzz from. A club level, probably Clermont. Yeah. Um, the Marcel Michelin. The Mastard Marcel Michelin. Yeah, um, we went out there recently and that was fantastic, but they sort of got ahead quite early and, and sort of stayed quite a bit ahead, which, you know, I don't think when we went over there we experienced it as best. I've been there before and it's been close. Like it's, it's, that's 
a fantastic, really the fantastic. The Balkanistas get going, they're fans, they're yeah. just like no other, aren't they? Yeah. Blue. So that's one of my favourite. Obviously, there's, there's quite a few other ones in, in France, like Toulon's pretty good, T uh, Toulouse, but I think um, Clermont is the, is the best club ground I've played at. And then international, um, Twickenham, especially when we when we played England in the, in the World Cup 2015. Yeah, I think that's one of the best atmospheres I've, I've ever experienced. And like, on, there was there's like no wind, no moisture, like perfect rugby conditions. And yeah, the atmosphere is pretty special then. But also like um, the Suncorp in Brisbane. Okay. I, I only played there once, but I really enjoy playing there. It's um, Similar to the principality, like the stadium, uh, the stands very close to the pitch. It's pretty steep as well, so it feels like um, there's more people there than there actually is. So that'll be one. Well, what about you? Growing up watching watching all the players, England players play at Twickenham is obviously always special. So for me to be able to play there a few times is is, is massively up there um, in terms of uh, my favourite grounds. Um, yeah, for for a person that hasn't necessarily played low, well, hasn't played international, um, those are sort of the biggest biggest um, stadiums I've played in and I've been lucky enough to play them when they've been full as well so 100% uh, uh, Twickenham has been a, been a great place for me to play. Flo, you've had well, a selection, should we say, around the world. Is there, is there one that sticks in your mind as the best place that you've played rugby in? Uh, there's a couple really. Um, you know, one with the significance of the match that was played there is... Uh, uh, you know, in, in, in Cardiff at the Millennium Stadium, I made my test debut there in, in, right. in 2010. Um, you know, obviously being this first hit, my first test and playing in front of the Welsh fans, which were uh, quite welcoming actually. Um, really? It's a, it's a very uh, good memory <laughs> that sticks in the back of my mind. We won that game, so that's obviously adds to it. Uh, but I think similar to Will, um, you know, you grow up, you know, supporting a team and... and, and Watching them play at your at your local stadium, which in my case was Western Province, uh, Newlands, yeah. in Cape Town. Um, very sadly, it's the yeah, final the it's final match is being played finished, there. Uh, someone's messed up horribly, uh, and now mm. they're going to sell their biggest assets. Um, but what a stadium! Um, so what's, up? what's happened there? Well, ever since ran out of money, uh, so they got Jamie over there. The dock is there <laughs> on big bucks, uh, South African numbers, but probably paid in pounds, so yeah. <laughs> it's breaking the bank. Uh, so the final few games being played there, but uh, what a place. Uh, big memories for me making my professional debut there and uh, uh, playing many games and a test match there as well. Yeah, so, I've got memories of the Lions Tour 2009, Yes, and they played a midweek game there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the South African term for a hoodie was, but it was like playing in a washing machine, because that wind just... <laughs> Didn't go in one direction. Yeah, you know, that's that southeaster can can come down quite severely. Um, but you know, that, that's what tests you as a player. You got to deal with it. So, more of a problem for the kickers like Greece, but good test. Yeah. <laughs> Just looking ahead to this weekend, and Six Ways is is its own unique stadium in in many ways. Um, up against the Warriors, so two teams right in the middle of the table and on the cusp of going up or down. It would it would appear at the moment. A big, big match, you know, win and you can go up to, I think, in the top four. So, where are the squad? How's the setup been this week? Is everybody ready to get going again uh, in club colours, Will? Yeah, I think we've all had some time off over the last couple of weeks to get away from the club. Obviously, had a big 19 week, 19 games on the trot. So it was important to get away. I think if you look at Worcester, they've probably had their best start to the season uh, for a good few amount of years. So, we know exactly what's coming this weekend. Um, and you know, these sort of next four, 
four games block, you'll sort of start seeing the league sort of develop a bit. I think mm. top teams have lost and bottom teams have won. It sort of kept us all all together. And um, obviously, we have had a good good patch last four games. Um, has really got us into a really good position. And sort of now we're targeting these next four games to real, you know, put us in that top four and make you know, continue this season to be um, exciting. And playing on plastic race for the kickers, that's always a bit different, I guess. Does it change technique or are you, are you used to it now with so many, so many clubs having that surface? Um, I quite like kicking on AstroTurf. I know everyone's different, um, but yeah, I, I quite enjoy it. Um, I always seem to do okay, so it's not, not a big thing for me. And to be fair, the six ways 4G pitch is pretty good as well. Is it? Yeah, they do vary in standards, but no, I've got this... It's a good pitch, and um, like Will said, we're all looking forward to getting out there now. I think, on the whole, pretty disappointed with how the first block went. We know as a squad there's a lot more in us, and I think there's genuine excitement amongst us now to go out there and really kick on, um, really improve our attack and, and our all round game and start scoring more tries. Because if you look at it now, we've won probably the second most games in the league, um, right. but it's just bonus points that have. I haven't, haven't realised that. So you got Exeter, Northampton and Sarries on six, I think, and we're on five with Sale. Right. But because we haven't had the bonus points, um, either losing or try bonus points, we're, we're still a little bit down. So, yeah, if we can start um, executing a little bit better, I'm sure we can make our way up the table then. And that confidence is almost there, Flo. You feel that, as, as Reese says, you get one win and then build up and build up on this block of four going into a block of six, etc. And then there's there's momentum in the group. Oh, sure. Um, that's, that's definitely a uh, an outlook for us. Um, you know, this the season here does become disjoint. You know, jumping between tournaments and now sort of this end of the season, we. Uh, we can out and out focus on on the Premiership, and that is this, this, this next block. Like the guys have just said, the next four games, you know, we can find we can find a bit of momentum and you know consistently win. Uh, we can hopefully put ourselves in a more comfortable position and you know secure a place in the top four. Well, let's hope for success at the weekend, and uh, let's have a break. Let's have our uh, society cafe coffee. We'll be back in a moment. The clash is getting ever closer. With so much to look forward to, it's more than just a game of rugby. There will be wall-to-wall entertainment for supporters of all ages to enjoy. On the 18th of April, Bath will be taking on old rivals Wasps as both teams make their push for the playoffs. With tickets starting from £20 for adults and £5 for kids and Rugby World Cup stars on both sides, it promises to be a day of high-octane action both on and off the field. Tune into the podcast or visit bathrugby.com forward slash the clash forward slash don't forget the second forward slash for more information on how to buy tickets and what to look forward to in the coming weeks. The Clash Podcast. So as we've uh, finished slurping on our lattes, I just wanted to have a quick word with, with Reese and with Flo about uh, a hot topic in many ways. The RPA are doing a lot of work to make guys think about what happens when you stop playing. Um, obviously it's a relatively short career as a rugby player and you've got to think onwards. Reese, I know you're, you're taking steps already. Can you tell us what you're doing in, in terms of your education and where you want to take it laterally? Um, yeah, so myself, Will Chudley and Henry Thomas have started um, the executive MBA at Bath University, um, which you know, is, is part-time over two years. Um, I think it's a, it's a brilliant qualification to have. Um, 
it's can be a bit tricky in terms of fitting around our training schedule because we um it's three days of lectures a month uh, a thursday friday saturday but obviously we play on either a friday or a saturday or sometimes sunday um so we missing we miss a little bit um so it's a bit of a challenge in terms of keep in terms of keeping on top of it but you know i found it really beneficial so far in terms of having an interest outside of rugby um sort of get my a different part of my brain working because I've been sort of thinking since I finished my, my undergraduate degree that I want to try and do something else whilst I'm playing rugby and um, before you know it a season uh, a couple of months go past a season go past and then yeah. next thing you know you're 30, 32 and you still haven't sort, uh, decided what you want to do so um, no the RPA have been brilliant in terms of uh, helping me find this course and uh, Bath Uni and Bath Rugby have been very um, helpful and proactive in terms of trying to make it fit. So, um, so that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm doing an executive MBA. Flo, yeah, I believe your your missus has been involved with the MBA. Is it something that you realise the importance of and the value of in terms of players, you know, doing something after their playing career? Absolutely, I think it's vitally important that uh, any athlete prepares uh, themselves for uh, life after the game, um, <clears throat> especially in, in our sport, uh, in rugby, uh, your career can end quite abruptly uh, mm. and quite quickly. Um, you know, we're not all fortunate enough to retire on our own terms, uh, or let alone make a, a financially success, a financial success of, of our, our time in the game. Um, you know, so I think in terms of preparing yourself, upskilling yourself whilst you're still playing uh, is of utmost importance. And as you said, the RPA have had a major um, impact on that and they're putting a lot of focus in that. Um, you know, and I think if, if other players have, have uh, like-mindedness to Reese and, 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 and the sorts, uh, you know, I think they'll all be better off for it. Reese, do you know, have you got an idea where you want it to lead or where it could lead? Uh, not at the moment, no. Um, dog sitting, dog walking? Oh, I would say dog walking, but we're in the middle of storm Sierra and I was in. <laughs> I, my dog walker phone in sick today and I don't blame her, so that's why I got the dog with me today. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm doing my, um, trying to obtain my level three coaching qualification as well, so I don't know, maybe a, like a specialist kicking coach or, or a rugby coach, I'm not sure, and then Another side of it that interests me is is the world of business and, and finance. So um, as of yet, I'm not too sure, but I think um, doing this MBA, hopefully um, I, can, I can meet a few people and they can suggest a few things and at least then employers further down the line know that um, you, you know I'm, I'm hardworking enough to be able to combine rugby and, and my studies. So just for now, I'm just getting my head down, trying to, <laughs> trying to complete the modules as they come and um, yeah, see, see where we go from there. Because there appears to be two sides of the coin. You either go into coaching, punditry, media work, or you utilise the network that rugby is renowned for. You know, we, we have still seem to have these contacts that you can get from, from sponsors, from supporters, from fans. Are you aware of the, the boys in the group flow actually talking about it? Do you ever talk about what, what you can do afterwards? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of those conversations that go around. Um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of those conversations are more amongst the, uh, shall I say, older players, guys who can really see the, start seeing the horizon uh, in terms of their careers. Uh, and it shouldn't necessarily be the case. Um, you know, as you, as you mentioned, we are 
as sportsmen uh, and women, very uh, fortunate to be exposed to the networks that we that we are. Um, you know, from whether it's sponsors, um, fans, or people that just uh, uh, ad admire the game in general. Mm. Um, and it'd be silly not to to tap into that. Um, you know, it definitely it definitely can give you a leg up uh, into the world outside of the game. Um, but then, you know, it only gets you that far. It only gets you to the door. Uh, you got to make that decision to step through it. And as I said. Uh, upskill yourself to a point where you are able to contribute effectively in, in whatever industry you choose. But you, can, yeah, you go. That? I, think, mm. I think you are exposed to a, like a network whilst you're playing rugby, but I think it's so important to, make, to get players to realise that once you finish, like that network's going to reduce quite, quite dramatically, quite quickly. Um, it's one thing I'm from speaking to players who have retired, it's sort of out of sight, out of mind, and if you, once you've finished, is are some is somebody who's a supporter or a sponsor going to be as willing to to open that door for you or, or, or offer you that opportunity? So it's so important to do it whilst you're playing. And um, I, I've been there myself. You know, I, I want to go out there and and try and get some work experience. But then, you know, on your day off, uh, so say this week you got Worcester. It's a very big game for us. On my day off, do I want to be going and spending eight hours in an office shadowing somebody? And yeah. if you don't do it, it's it's soon time catches up on you. And then. But There's only so many hours in the day. Exactly, and but it, it is trying to trying to get players to realise, especially like Flo said, as players who are starting their career, um, whilst they still got the opportunity to go out and do it, but it, it, it is tough because you're trying to balance everything, and like you say, you got one big game after another, and you think, oh no, I, let's, I want to put my feet up this this on this day off to make sure I'm right for the weekend. Um, so it's finding that balance and. Uh, yeah, I, I found it very tough, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of current play, current youngsters now are going to find it tough as well. So, do you end up talking, trying to pass on those words of wisdom to the the Zach Mercers, the Tom Ellis's, the Tom De Glanville, the Max Clarks, all those guys that are of that generation that you mentioned that are just buzzing at playing professional rugby and not thinking, rightly so to an extent, not thinking at the other end of the sphere. Do you do you talk to them about that? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, it's it's not so much about having the boys sit down and lecturing them about uh, the decisions that they need to make and the mistakes you perhaps made uh, may have made in your, in your career. Uh, but you know, I, I got to give credit to a lot of the young guys, especially at Bath. A lot of them are very keen to learn and to find out how how you may have done things and um, you know some of the traps you might have fallen into and and you know what your your future prospects are. And I think um, at least from my side, I mean, I'm very willing to speak to guys and uh, you know give them the time that they need uh, and, and try and guide them where I can and just at least tell them what what I did and how I did my things and the mistakes I made and hopefully if they can take a little bit out of that and put that in their book uh, and, and, and make a success of their lives and great. Have you, I'm not so decided but have you a thought in your head as to well firstly I suppose whether you stay in this country or go, or go back to South Africa and if you're going to do that what you're going to do is that this man doesn't have to work yeah <laughs> <laughs> well can't win well, well can't win I can just dine out on that now. Well, yeah. yeah I wish I wish that was the case uh, I, I'm, I'm planning going to financial services uh, so I've recently qualified as a financial advisor okay. so uh, I'd like to go into wealth management and, and hopefully uh, carry that across to to the athlete side and, and, and help help uh, players and young guys and girls uh, um, really plan for their, their lives financially. Um, you know, it is, is quite a unique situation that, that sports persons find themselves in that our, 
uh, earnings are quite often very, very extremely heavily front-loaded in our in our lives uh, and our lifelong careers. Uh, and you know, there's no reason why uh, you shouldn't make the most of that. Uh, it's, it is quite a unique financial situation that that we find ourselves in, uh, and to apply that properly and most effectively can really give. Uh, athletes a leg up, especially at this critical time where there's an inevitable, um, you know, career change, a forced retirement, whether it's you're fortunate enough to do it on your own terms or whether it's through injury uh, or perhaps just, you know, lack of form. Um, you know, it can happen any time in your, in your short sporting career. Uh, and so to be financially equipped, or at least put yourself in the best possible position for that uh, is very important. Um, so that's sort of an outlook that I'm, I'm hoping to take. And go into business with Scala. School Brits, isn't he a chartered accountant now or something? He's not a chartered accountant, he wish. He's a, he's a management accountant. He's got a lovely job for Richmond, uh, uh, you know, uh, Johan Rupert's company back in South Africa. Uh, so, uh, but you know, of course, uh, you know, as, as you said, you know, the, the, the rugby networks are big and it's just as big amongst, amongst the, the athletes and the players themselves. You know, there are a lot of rugby players that have gone on to, uh, to great, great things, great positions. and. You know, hopefully they'll remember that guy that chased them around the field a few years back and you know, be willing to take your call. It's interesting because you say the athletes, it's not just rugby players, as much as that, that brotherhood in inverted commas still is strong. Do you find yourself crossing over into other sports, so get, you know, talking to other sportsmen and women about what their challenges are post-career, sporting career? Do you, do you get that opportunity at all, Rhys? Um... Not too much. I don't know too many sportsmen from, from other sports, to be honest. Um, you haven't spoken to Mr. Bale or anybody? Toby's brother-in-law. Uh, <laughs> I've FaceTimed him once. Did you? Yeah. Did he answer? Yeah, it wasn't me. I was with Toby. <laughs> we were out in Vegas and we FaceTimed him because it was his birthday. We sang happy birthday to him. He, didn't, he wasn't too pleased with that. Really? Because no. of, of the time difference? Uh, oh, or just, just, the, just the song yeah it's pretty awkward we started it thinking it was going to be a good idea but then it's quite a long song when you think about it um, so yeah that's, that's the only contact I've had with him um, I, I've, I spent a couple of, of days with a Welsh, uh, wealth management firm up in London um, a couple of summers ago so met a rower there who'd um, you know finished and then gone into uh, wealth management and I think from from speaking to a lot of people up in in London in the city, uh, they quite like having sportsmen up there because mm. you know most sportsmen are pretty got pretty high drive and um, pretty pretty good self motivation. So um, you know the opti- the opportunities are there. To, to uh, go and in. rugby seems to be at the forefront. All right, we'll keep on and on about core values, and maybe those have been tarnished a little bit over recent weeks and months. But still, rugby is a very popular sport within. The, the corporations within the corporates as to, as to what you can bring to it in terms of the way you work as a team, the disciplines, all those sorts of things. And I guess there is a lot of crossover. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. Um, as Reece said, I think as, as rugby players and I suppose other athletes as well, you're exposed to quite extreme environments and quite radical transparency, which might not necessarily be the case uh, you know, in, the, in the working environment outside of sport. Um, you know, it's pretty clear cut between success and failure in, in our game and you told about it on a Monday. You told how poor you are and where you need to get better and you, know, you either get on with it or you move on, um, which is quite a harsh reality. And you know, as, as Reece said, there's, there's a lot of self-motivation that has to take place uh, for you, you know, to take that uh, constructive criticism and apply it to your, 
to your game and you know work out a way to rectify that and, and come back a, a better player. Finally, is there any other things going on within the group of boys set up businesses or outside interests that you think they might be able to take on once they finish playing? Some of them have started colouring. Really? Yeah. Joined up writing? Uh, no, genuinely they are. Really? They're getting these books and they're colouring on their days off or doing puzzles. Um, <laughs> I think a few of them are trying to become professional gamers. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure what else is going on. I know a few people are out um, doing sort of project management when it comes um, with construction. I know yeah. Ross, Ross Batty is doing that. There's, a few, there's quite a few, especially the youngsters, a few are quite in, in uni and they've got a, Bath have got a good relationship with Bath Uni. So um, there's that it's going a, it's on. It's a first step then, and an important first step for them, at least of getting, keeping the, uh, the learning brain going, is, so yeah. to speak. I think the academy and the, with the pathway, they, they sort of encourage the players to go off to uni. And we've seen with, with Tom de Glanville, he went off to Leeds University, did his first year up there, but then he's come back now and I, I think he might have transferred down to Bath Uni. Um, so it, it's, you can always go off to uni and if rugby does take off, you can always put it on hold or, or whatever, like a few players have done. But it's always good to have a backup plan, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you've got a few years yet before you have to focus fully on that and uh, focus fully on six ways and good luck at the weekend. The Clash podcast will be available from all good podcast platforms. We'd love you to like it, subscribe, and share the pod with your friends. We'd like to thank our producers, Simon Ward and Dan Brown, for their support in the launch and recording of this podcast, as well as the team here at the club. See you next time.